Hello, and welcome to the Goddess Ceremony Podcast, a sacred place for women all around the world to find wisdom about the sacred feminine, empowerment, and healing. From natural health suggestions, traditional wisdom, and transformative stories, you'll be immersed in topics that bring you inspiration and clarity. If you're ready to awaken the wild woman within, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Goddess Ceremony Podcast with Cassandra Wilder. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the Goddess Ceremony Podcast. My name is Cassandra, and I'm so deeply grateful that you have clicked play. I'm answering one of the most common questions that I've received lately via Instagram, as well as from a couple amazing, courageous women who have reached out to me as a naturopathic doctor and seeked my professional advice and support in the realm of conception and fertility. Now, before I even dive into this subject, I want to set the tone with saying that this is such a personal journey. And as I share my own personal opinions and tips and things that I've seen some women benefit from, do you know that I'm not talking through this microphone as an authority or as this is the only way to do it, but rather just offering my helpful advice, things that I have learned along my journey. And like I said, some success stories that I'm really, really grateful to be able to talk about. I have had some very dear friends struggle with conceiving and it's been such a such a heartbreaking thing to witness and This is why I have put off this podcast for so long because I know how personal of a journey it is and I don't want anyone to feel like I am saying if you don't do this then it will never happen. So know that I am sharing this podcast from such a humble place, from really a place of just wanting to serve and offer women some new ideas and things that could end up being really helpful and instrumental along their journeys. So if you are currently trying to get pregnant or if you have a friend or a loved one that is going through some struggles in getting pregnant, this podcast is intended to simply give you some educational tips, to give you some emotional support, and also to remind you that you are not alone, that so many people are in the same boat as you and understand what it feels like to want something so deeply and yet feel like there's some there's some strange reason why it's just not happening. So in this podcast, I'm really excited and grateful and humbled to share seven fertility suggestions. And these are spanning from my education as a naturopathic doctor and traditional Western herbalism. And then also some things that I've seen work really well with my clients as well as other clients um, with other practitioners and colleagues that I've been blessed to study with. And so these are things that I think are really vital for our health and well-being overall. And in fact, I think this would be really ideal for all of us to be practicing, but especially if you are experiencing some trouble conceiving, then these tips and suggestions may help you start to pave the way towards a simple and graceful and easeful conception and healthy pregnancy and birth. So often when people reach out to me 
as a naturopathic doctor, they want to do a, an online consultation with me. And if I specifically know that they're wanting some conception health, there's a number of questions that I'll specifically ask them. And so I'm going to share those questions with all of you just so you can see where my mind is immediately headed when someone tells me they're trying to get pregnant, they haven't been able to get pregnant yet, and how I start to piece together their story so that I know how I can best serve them. Because that's what this is all about, is understanding you, your health journey, what your health goals are and how I can empower you to heal yourself. That is my goal as a naturopathic doctor. So some of my common questions that I might ask are, when was your last period? And is your period regular or all over the place? This is going to help me piece together potentially where your hormones are at. I'll likely also ask, have you been on birth control? And if so, what method was it and for how long? Again, this is just helping me understand hormonally where we may be at. What is your diet like? And this is major. And when I'm working with a client who really has some some serious things going on and they really have some large health goals that they want to reach, this question is really, really vital. So often, um, I think in any industry, when we ask, how's your diet? Most people are quick to say, oh, it's good. But what does that really mean? And so especially when I'm working with a client who's trying to conceive, I generally want a seven day food diary from them where they just write down everything that they ate. It doesn't have to be fancy portion sizes. We don't need to like measure by grams or anything like that. But what I'm trying to see is in general, what is their diet like? And I'm earnestly curious to see what kind of fats they're getting in their diet. What kind of protein sources do they have? What kind of micronutrients are they getting? And maybe even more so, what are they not getting from that current diet and so I know when people say how's your diet and people say it's good that's that's amazing but I want to know really specifically what's going on with your diet so that I can know what may be lacking and what things we can add in to support you Um, how long have you been actively trying to conceive do you track your ovulation window and do you have any obvious ovulation signs This has been another big podcast request, so I promise it'll be coming soon, but a lot of you have been asking to learn more about how to track your own ovulatory patterns and what those signs and symptoms are and how some people choose to use this as a birth control method by understanding their body at a very deep level. So that will be coming at some point, I promise. It's a really epic, very in-depth topic, and so it'll be really fun to dive into that with all of you. But what I'm wanting to know here is, do they know when their ovulation time is? So are they having intercourse during that window? And do they have obvious ovulation signs? Because it is possible for some people that they no longer ovulate. And obviously that's going to make things far more difficult in terms of conception. So these are my questions that I am asking to try and understand who they are, their health story, and what I can do to serve them. So... Again, whether this is something very close to home for you, for someone you know, please know that I am sharing all of this with so much love and support and really grateful to just dive right into this. Our seven fertility suggestions and things that I would recommend to some of my clients and things that if I were in this situation, I would certainly be implementing myself. So the number one thing is to create a consistent sleep schedule. And this sounds so simple. It sounds too simple, if anything. But I have seen women, by simply getting on a regular sleep schedule, have a much easier time conceiving. 
And this is especially pertinent for women that have very irregular sleep schedules, like three days of the week they're a night shift nurse, or a couple days a week they're yeah having to stay up for some reason much later than normal. And so when it's that irregular, the body can come out of balance. Hormones will certainly be affected. And so having a consistent sleep schedule really looks like ideally going to the same to bed at the same time every single night and rising around the same time even if you're not working. So if Monday through Friday you have to wake up at 6 a.m., from a hormonal standpoint, it could be advantageous to remain on some sort of a schedule with that. So not sleeping until 10 a.m. because that's going to be inconsistent for the body. So when I'm talking to people about their sleep schedule, normally I'm wanting to know, is it easy to fall asleep? Is it easy to stay asleep? What time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? What are your normal hours that you're getting per night? And this is, again, helping me piece together the story of their health. So don't discount this as, oh, it's too simple. I mean, I get plenty of sleep. See it as an opportunity to really regulate your sleeping schedule so that your body does have time to restore and replenish itself. Because if the body is stressed and if your hormones are out of balance, if your stress levels are outrageous, then the body may see pregnancy as just not a good idea in this present moment. So if we can regulate that, the body will then be able to regulate other functions as well. Secondly, this is a major one, to remove any genetically modified foods from the diets and to switch predominantly to organic. Now, I know this can be a hot topic, and that's why I'm saying this isn't, you know, your general health advice you're going to get from the average doctor, but personally, this is a major, major thing and something that I follow to a T. Genetically modified foods are becoming more and more um, widespread, and we're seeing more and more research demonstrating how these may not be very good for us. So we are seeing tumors and infertility show up in rats and mice and the animals that they are testing. And so I really, I really don't think this is something to overlook. And there are some people that are quick to say, you know, well, that's just in mice or that's just in rats or that's because there's such a massive amount of the GMOs in their diet. But when we stop and look around at our food system and how much of our food does have genetically modified foods in it, it's staggering, especially if someone is eating a very processed diet or eating out frequently, you would be horrified to know how many GMOs you're likely eating. Some of the biggest genetically modified crops in the United States include canola, corn, soybean, cotton, and how often are these things in a food, if not all of them? How often is corn in something? I mean, you go buy a chicken nugget or hamburger or, you know, a taco or any sort of processed food, then likely that's in it. And it's the same with soy. And certainly canola oil is such a big thing. And that's what a lot of fast food companies are using. I mean, so I'm, I'm telling you this just to demonstrate how Even if you're not going to the store and buying a box that says GMO corn, you're probably still eating genetically modified foods. And these Franken foods are are made by people playing God and really altering the DNA structure of these plants. So in my mind, from an innate, intuitive level, that just sounds wrong. 
um, does not resonate with me. So if I have a client who's wanting to switch from GMOs, we're just going to switch to organic as much as possible. If they do consume meat and dairy, we're going to make sure first and foremost that is all organic. Um, this is going to help them avoid the excessive hormones and antibiotics that are likely present in these foods. So at the very least, those will be cleaner. And then from all of their fruits and vegetables and canned goods and things like that, we're going to do our best to be as organic as possible. So this is really, really major. Um, and when we switch to organic, we're not going to have our food sprayed by uh, herbicides and pesticides like glyphosate, which is uh, manufactured by Monsanto and certainly a very, very sinister thing that... Um, Oh, so much I could say, but yeah, <laughs> we're just going to leave it at that. We don't want that in our bodies. So that's the second tip to remove your GMOs from your diet and switch to organic or local or heirloom as much as possible. My third tip is to determine if the hormones are imbalanced and if so, then we'll offer some support. I think most of the time with clients, what I'm seeing is an estrogen dominance and a lack of progesterone. Those are our two main hormones we think of with women. Um, and so if I know, for example, they have estrogen dominance, then I'm going to think of ways that I can support their progesterone and also help them flush out some of this excessive estrogen that they're probably getting from their diet, from things like soy, from plastics, things like that, where we see estrogen levels rise. And so... Um, by determining if the hormones are imbalanced, it's going to help me kind of figure out a game plan. If I want to do some herbal supports, if there's some other supplements we want to add in, if there's other things we want to shift in their lifestyle or diet overall. And so what I'm looking for as a naturopath is what is out of balance and what is causing the body to show a symptom in this way. That's my role. You could say it's like playing detective. Why is the body manifesting in this particular way? So I'm looking to see if there are hormones imbalanced, and if so, how can I support them? Number four, I'm going to have them ditch all artificial sugars in their diets. This kind of ties into the GMO thing. And again, I don't think most people anymore go to the store and buy Splenda or Equal or, you know, whatever these brands are of the fake sugar. You know, if you go to a diner, all the bright colored sugar, you know, fake sugar packets on the table. I think a lot of people have moved away from that because a lot of us know better than that. But again, so often when we're consuming processed foods, these are part of it. So if you're chewing gum, for example, well, that's likely in it. You're going to see sucralose or aspartame. Those are the two big ones. If you drink anything diet, so your diet Coke or your diet Mountain Dew, or even I've seen some of this in like vitamin waters that are low calorie, but they're super sweet. They taste like normal. You want to look at those ingredients because if it has aspartame or sucralose in it, that is an artificial sugar and we want to avoid that. So there's so much research coming out on artificial sugars as well. Um, but to give you a perspective on like the what even is an artificial sugar, let's look at aspartame. This is one of the most common ones. But interestingly, because people started catching on maybe a decade ago that aspartame was an artificial sugar and wasn't good for you, a lot of companies switched to sucralose. And if you didn't know better, you would think sucralose is sucrose, and sucrose is the sugar molecule. And so isn't that sneaky how they change the words a little bit to maybe, maybe confuse the consumer? 
I'll let you make that choice or that decision if that's on purpose. So with aspartame, how do they make it? Well, we take E. coli, which is a bacteria that's present in the guts, typically. Um, but when it's out of control or if we were to come in contact with that orally, we'd get very sick. So we take E. coli and E. coli creates a byproduct. So we could say it's like E. coli um, manufacturing feces. And then we take the feces of E. coli and we make that a sugar. And then we put that in our food. That's literally the process of aspartame. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sit right for me. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so all that to say, we want to make sure we're not consuming any artificial sugars. Certainly, we don't want to consume a huge amount of regular sugar, but I would take regular sugar any day over an artificial sugar personally. So we were gonna, again, when I look at their food guide or their food log, I'll be able to see what places um, this may be sneaking in. Okay, my fifth tip is to remove exposure to EMFs or electromagnetic fields. And we could say that this is things like cell phones and Wi-Fi, uh, cell phone towers. Those are going to be the big ones. These are fields of current that can affect the human body. And so what I'm doing here is just creating little shifts so that they're uh, experiencing less exposure. I'm not going to tell you that you need to go and get a flip phone. I'm not going to tell you that you need to like <laughs> EMF proof your house or whatever. I know that's just not accessible and I know that not everyone wants to do that and I get it. I don't do that either. So what can I do to limit that exposure? Well, there's a few things. For example, at night, I'll make sure that they have their phone on airplane mode or at the very least in another room that really shouldn't be right next to your head. You should not be sleeping with your phone in your bed or under your pillow, even on your nightstand. And if you do, it needs to be off or on airplane mode. If that doesn't work for you, then just leave your phone in another room on the charger. At night, I encourage clients typically to turn off their Wi-Fi router. Just that can make a large difference. You can even take your Wi-Fi router, put it on a a timer or you can you know make up a, a switch work with a certain plug so all you have to do is flick a switch uh, like a light switch and then that'll turn off that plug so it'll turn off your wi-fi so you can make it super easy to where you're not having to get down on your hands and knees and unplug it from the wall make it so that it's easy for you or like i said just get the timer so that at 11 o'clock every night it turns off at 5 a.m it turns back on super easy but this is another big thing we're seeing more and more research on and so this is a, a thing that I urge my clients to consider in how they can reduce that EMF exposure. My sixth tip is to increase their overall mineral stores and vital nutrients. And so as I'm looking at their food log, again, I'm seeing what may be lacking from their diet and then offering some of that back. The sad truth is that our foods most of the time are so devoid of nutrients that even if we're eating all organic, likely we're still not getting all of the nutrients that we could have 50 years ago or 100 years ago because our soils are depleted and therefore the food doesn't get the nutrients either. So I might have them supplement <clears throat> with some herbal protocols or just some new macronutrients or micronutrients and support them in building up their mineral stores because we know that we need an abundance of minerals to be able to have a regular menstrual cycle, to be able to conceive, maintain a healthy pregnancy. And so this is really, really important. 
And lastly, my seventh thing that I'd be looking at is supporting their emotional health with some self-care. Most of the time, most of us are probably a bit stressed, especially if we're working in the corporate world or even as entrepreneurs, it can be very, very stressful. And so I think it's so important to support these people in lowering their stress levels and just feeling loved and supported overall. So this is a beautiful reminder for some self-care to take care of themselves. And this could look like so many different things, but this could be one day a month, there's an opportunity to, to go for a hike or to go get a massage or to just have an afternoon to go sit in the yard and read a book. These little things that refill our cup, that allow our stress hormones to decrease, make such a huge difference. And of course, if we are really trying to conceive and are having some difficulty, that can play such a big toll on our emotional health. So this is a great opportunity for them to to take care of themselves, but also those of us in our community to also support them in any way possible to do what we can to make sure they have that space to relax and to rest and to know that they are cared for. So those are my seven big fertility suggestions, a great place to start. Uh, It is key though to note that the reason that someone may have a difficult time conceiving can be very different person to person. And so this could work really well for some people. This may not work for some. I've been blessed to work with a number of clients that um, have been able to successfully conceive with just some shifts in their diets as well as with uh, their overall lifestyle. And that's been such a blessing and such a beautiful thing to witness. And I'm just beyond grateful to people that have trusted me to support them along this path. But whether or not that's the option for you or the person you love is totally, totally independent. I hope, honestly, that every single person that needs the support gets the support they need from their doctor or from their support system, because at the very least, what we can be doing to support these amazing human beings is reminding them that they are loved, reminding them that they're not broken, reminding them that they are still every bit divine feminine and woman, and... We just need to create this loving environment for them to remember that. One other thing too I didn't mention is there are times when the conception is um, affected by the partner. The partner's sperm count may be low, his testosterone may be low. And so that's also very important to look at. It's not always just the woman that is having difficulty conceiving. Her partner can also be playing a major role in that as well. So that's super vital and a question and a conversation that I will usually have with them as well is has your partner had his testosterone tested recently? Um, you know, and what, what other kinds of things are going on for him that could help me indicate if his testosterone is low or if it is in a more healthy level. Just to give another slight um, tangent, but many men are experiencing low testosterone. It's quite common. And so that's something not to be overlooked. It would be worthwhile to just go and have him tested to see where he's at. And then there's certainly a lot Western medicine could do to support that. There's tools that as a naturopath we would offer as well. And I think that's the goal for all of this to become complementary for Western medicine and naturopathic medicine to merge because we both have a place and we both are doing really amazing things to support people. And I think that's why we're seeing things like integrative medicine become so popular 
because people are understanding that there is so much worth in both. And especially if the doctors or the healthcare practitioners can be in communication and have this powerful relationship together, then we can help people even more. So slight tangent, but that was important to say. So again, if this is you or someone you love, please know that I'm sending you so much love. I am here to be of support if you need it, or if you simply need someone to listen, um, that's what I am here for. So you can go to goddessceremony.com slash naturopathy if you'd like to set up a session with me. But truly know that this podcast was not intended as a pitch, but this was me earnestly offering some support to the many amazing women that have reached out asking for some simple suggestions or some good go-to things that they can start with if they want to conceive. I hope you're all having such a beautiful day. Please know that you are so loved, you are so supported, and I will see you in the next podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for the Goddess Ceremony podcast. We hope you found inspiration and healing within this sacred space. If you're feeling the call to join us for an upcoming Sacred Goddess Retreat or transformative women's leadership training, now is the time to rise. You can find details about upcoming retreats and trainings at goddessceremony.com. We'll see you in the next podcast, sister. Thank you.